so I want tonight, if we can, to somehow kind of reimagine the, the Christmas story. And, and here's what I want us to do. I want you to imagine you, okay, that you have a particular relationship in your life, and it's a relationship that's very significant. It's one that you've put your trust in. It's one that you've put your hopes in. It's one that you put your dreams in, expectations, anticipations. Everything is centered around this relationship. And, and you, you might have already, you can like latch on to a relationship that you have, and you've, you've done that before. Um, and, and with this relationship, you make tremendous sacrifices. You orbit your whole life around this relationship. You set up boundaries and make decisions, all kind of a con- that are contingent upon this one relationship that, that just basically your whole life orbits around. It's so singular. And, and you have the, 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 just the hope of a future with this person. You, your confidence, your faith in that person is just, uh, is just sky high. Everything in your life revolves around this relationship. And then suddenly, if you're picturing this relationship, and then suddenly, silence. They vanish. So you've got, you've got this relationship, you've just invested everything in. Again, your whole life orbits around that. And then total silence. And, and not only total silence, but um, with that silence, there comes this uncertainty there comes this doubt. There comes this feeling of, okay, what, what, did, I, what did I do? Will I, will, I ever, will I ever find that relationship again? And, and even if it, as if it couldn't get any worse, you add to it, there's oppression from other people. So, so kind of put yourself in that frame of mind as you think about that, that moment, that time of, of silence. And now think, well, what would you do? Again, this relationship that has meant everything to you, everything in your life completely revolved around that, and then it just goes completely dark. What would you do? Some of you, you you would hold out hope, no matter what, it it didn't matter. Some of you, you would just move on, no problem. And, And some of you in this room, you've actually lived out this scenario that I'm talking about, and that's exactly what you've done. Some of you, you would assume, okay, well, I'll never ever have another relationship like that, so you kind of take this, like, agnostic approach to relationships and you just think um, um, there's nobody that I'll ever meet that's worth trusting again so I just am completely done. Some of you, you would absolutely drive yourself crazy because you would just wonder and, and just absolutely obsess over what did I do? What did I do wrong? How did I blow this? How, what, what, could I ever get this back? What, and you just kind of replay over and over and over again and you doubt whether or not you would even uh, ever have another loving relationship or if you could ever be the kind of person who, that anybody would want to have a loving relationship with you, if you could ever be accepted. And some of you, you would quickly just find a replacement. You would just move on and you would find a replacement or replacements. And whatever you chose, whatever kind of outcome you chose after that relationship just went, went dark, you'd be wandering, you'd be waiting, and you'd be wondering. Now, everything that I just described there, that's exactly what happened to the people of God. So if you look at the history of, of, through the scriptures, God creates man and woman, has incredible relationship with them. And the scripture talks about that in the book of Genesis. And then those people revolt or commit treason against God is really what happens there. And that starts this whole trajectory for the human race. And God continues to pursue and people continue to wander or reject. God continues to pursue. 
People wander, reject. God pursues, God pursues. He sends these guys and women called prophets, and they speak, and they speak the very words of God to people. And again, trying to woo them back, woo them back. And people wander, and people wander, people wander. And then there's silence. 400 years of silence. And that's where we'll pick up in Luke chapter 2. But let's, uh, let's pray before we open the word of God. God, help us uh, tonight, I pray. God, um, to, to hear from you. Because God, what I just described um, there that is a reality and it's, it's history for, for your chosen people. Uh, God, many in the room feel like they are experiencing that with you even now. Um, God, and maybe that's why they're here tonight, God, because of a desperate desire to, in some way or another, God, to hear from you. And so, God, I'm just asking for your mercy tonight that you would, by your spirit, speak to us. And God, speak to us in a way that's intimate and significant and unique to each and every one of us. God, your word's very clear that you know everything about us. And God, even though you are massive and you are big and you are all-knowing and all-powerful, God, um, you are intimately acquainted with every dream and hope and heartache and desire that we have. Um, God, and you, you love us in ways that we can't even express. And so I know all those things to be true. And God, I just pray um, again that we would not just know it mentally, but God, that we would be uh, made aware, um, God, in a really deep way tonight. Love you. Um, Jesus, this is always and only about you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So the story that Luke presents to us, that we get in Luke chapter 2, and, and you've, you've no doubt heard this passage before somewhere, um, it, this takes place in Caesar's world. And, and this was during a time when, when Caesar Augustus, who was a powerful ruler of an empire, was actively oppressing the, the Hebrew people, the actively suppressing Israel. And, and through their dominance and through their might, the Roman Empire seemed to be the place where if anything significant was going to happen in the world, it would happen within the Roman Empire, and it would happen because of Caesar, either because of his degree, decree or something that was, that was centered around him. So we have to get that because we have to understand the context of when Luke has the story come out. Because it's incredible contrast that what Luke is trying to tell us about something important happening in this kind of backwater town with these backwater peasants under the kind of the umbrella of this amazing empire, this Roman empire, and Caesar Augustus. And it seems, especially if you take that context, it seems really impractical and really silly that something significant could be happening in this feeding trough somewhere like that and that it would change the world. It just really doesn't make any sense. But for those of us who, who we 
believe the scriptures and we're followers of Jesus, we really do believe that in this very unnoticed and forgotten and forsaken place that God is changing the world. And, and, and that really is an important part for us because you can't understand how beautiful the Christmas story is until you understand how absurd it is. The people of God were convinced that a Messiah or a Savior was coming. In Isaiah chapter 9, there's this prophecy about this Savior for the people, this, this Messiah. I'll just read it to you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. So the prophet's talking about this time of peace when this conquering warrior hero king would come in and bring peace and freedom for the people. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is what they were looking forward to. This is what they were anticipating. This is what they they were pregnant with expectation over this. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We live in a really interesting time right now. Theologians will refer to the time that we're in right now as the already not yet. Because we already see that Jesus is king. We read that in the Gospels. And we see his lordship. And in many ways, we see his peace and we see his beauty and we see his goodness in the world. But yet in other ways, in very real ways, it's not yet fully realized. We don't yet live in a time of endless peace. But we still believe that the hope of Jesus has been born into the world and it's growing in the world. And, and the way that the hope of, uh, of and peace of Christ comes into the world, it looks small and it looks humble, especially when you consider the context and the place and really the absurdity of how it came in. And it doesn't look like it could possibly bring about enough change in the world, but that is the way that God's always doing it. Right in the midst of everything else that's crazy and, the, and all the things that look like it's absolutely out of control, God's doing something extraordinary and God is doing something surprising in the world. And I realize that there are some of you in the, in the room and you just feel like you're in a place of maybe deep darkness. And it's really hard to see that Jesus is doing actually anything at all. And, and hope might seem very small and, and very tiny, but God is up to something. And what we believe and what the scriptures teach us is that God is working all things together for your ultimate good, even in circumstances where you don't see any evidence of him working. And in the same way that it's surprising that Jesus is born in this feeding trough in a cave, even now the incarnation of Jesus, meaning the presence of God, is at work in your life in places that are small, in places that are unexpected. And if we took the time tonight and we went around the room and I said, talk about the places where God showed up in very unexpected ways that seem small, but seem to have this huge ripple effect through your life. We would go around and we'd have some pretty amazing stories and testimonies of God doing that. The most impressive things about God, his grace, his love, his mercy, they often come in the most unexpected ways and by the most unexpected means. 
And we believe that God is up to beautiful things. That's the hope that we hold on to as followers of Jesus. We believe that light always comes through the darkness in really surprising ways. And the, and the hope, our hope, our confidence, our expectation in the future that God is working all things together for our ultimate good and for his glory, it grows when we embrace that. And we see that when we go back to verse 8. So look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be, with, that will be for all the people. So this bright light shines. And, and the word there, they had great fear. It's terrified. So they feared a really big fear is the way that you should hear that. And the angel says, look, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And the reason that they make that is not just because, hey, this is really crazy. A huge light came on. What this message is bringing, the silence that is broke by a message that says, whatever you assumed about God, Whatever you assumed about this relationship that seemed completely severed and no hope of ever being regained, whatever you assumed about God, don't be afraid because I bring good news of great joy. And the gospel message that comes forth on that, on that evening is this. Look, God is changing, God is changing the rules. The, the rule that everybody kind of lives under, the, the, the rule that says, look, you get what you deserve. The, the, the rule that everybody had worked by forever, the, the, the rule that inherently makes sense to us. If I do something good, I should get something good. If I do something bad, I should expect something bad. And the, and the proclamation is that God is changing that up. God is changing that up. The rule that says that you earn your way and you deserve your way and you get out what you put in. God is saying, and I'm showing up, I'm breaking the silence, and I'm breaking the silence with this incredibly good news. It's saying, look, God has a plan to cover all of that. All of your personal attempts to get it right, all of your personal righteousness or your personal rightness, um, even your sin, even your rebellion and your offenses and your treasons and your failures and your inconsistencies, God is saying, look, all of that is irrelevant because I'm changing it. This is what God has decided to do. And not because of you, but actually in spite of you. That's why you don't need to be afraid. Um, I don't know if you ever think like this, uh, just kind of full disclosure. Sometimes I think about the moment when I will be face-to-face with God. And a lot of times, if I'm really honest, um, that is a scary moment for me. Because I think about just a lifetime of failure, a lifetime of sin, a lifetime of inconsistencies. I think about all those things, and I replay all those things, and I think, okay, I'm standing before God. Is God going to use those things? What's going to happen? But the angel says here, I've got some good news. This is what God is going to do. You don't have to be afraid. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the news. A Savior is born. Essentially, the message that this angel brings is, look, God knows exactly what you need. 
God knows what your deepest issue is. God knows what your deepest problem is. And he knows you don't need to help up. It's not just that you need a nudge. You don't just need a boost. It's not just that you need a coach in your corner. It's not just that you need a second chance. It's not just that you need more instruction. It's not just that you need more rules. It's not just that you need more boundaries. He's saying, look, what you need most and what you could never do for yourself, you need a savior. Look at verse 12. He continues to explain it to us. He says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this whole thing is by God. This whole thing is from God. This whole thing is designed by God, funded by God. It's all about God. It's all about his fame. It's all completed and finished by God. So God is the one who gets the credit. When we do get something out of the deal, we get peace with God, which means we get put back together with God. What God knows is we could never do enough to to put ourselves back together with God. So God makes his way to us so that we might be put back together with him. It's this idea of of a weaving back together. It's in, in the scripture, it's, it's, it's this, sh- this shalom or this, this wholeness, this peace. And it's, and it's a mending or a weaving back together. And when we understand that God sent a savior and salvation is not based on our activity, something that we perform or something that we earn, something that we do, when we get that, when we understand that it's not that, but it's actually based on the performance and the sacrifice of Jesus, the scripture tells us we get that peace we get that wholeness. Because as long as we try to factor us into the equation, and we do this all the time, God doesn't get any credit because that he doesn't have done anything spectacular. As long as God treats people the way that they deserve to be treated, he's just like us. That's not very special or unique. Everybody does that. Your fifth grade teacher does that. You, you, your boss does that to you. Everybody does that. Everybody in the world, that's how they work. You do something good, you get something good. You do something bad, expect something bad. That wouldn't be good news. That, that, that would be fair news. That would be old news. That would, just be, that would just be news. But the good news is, is that those who trust and believe that, that God is working on our behalf to put us back together with him, they get the peace of God. And when you rally your life around and put your lives under that good news, God gets all the credit but you get all the peace. God gets all the credit, all the fame, all the glory is a word that we use in the church world. And we get all the peace. We get all the grace, we get all the love, we get all the mercy. But you see, if it works the other way, God gets very little credit and we never get peace. You never get peace when you think, I'm the one who's responsible for putting this relationship back together. Because you never really know if you've done enough. How would you know if you've done enough? Just because you think you've done enough? You could have always tried harder. You could have always been better. And when you live like that, if you've ever been in any relationship like that, where you never really know where you stand with the other person, you're always anxious, you're always afraid, you're always insecure, you're a fractured person. And so God offers a way for you to be put back together, and for you to be made whole with him. Christmas is so important because 
if God never breaks that silence, we are left to wonder and to worry that God is going to judge us based on all of our inconsistencies. But he doesn't. He breaks the silence with this amazing news where he says he offers himself and he places the, his wrath, that punishment for our sin, our offenses that we rightfully earned and deserve, he places all of those things on his son, Jesus. Jesus, who left heaven, became one of us, flesh and blood, fully God, yet fully man. Jesus, who was born in an animal's feeding trough, who, who, when he was born, the very first thing that he smelled was manure and animals. Jesus, who had to rush out of the country immediately after his birth because there was an impending massacre of young Hebrew boys. This Jesus, who once he does finally start his ministry, his associates are people like um, tax gatherers who were essentially crooks, prostitutes. He lives his life touching the untouchable, He would go to the lame, he healed the blind, he gave dignity to the poor, he spoke up for them. He took on himself the shame and the sin of humanity. His freedom was lost in a very corrupt plea bargain with a convicted murderer. He died, the murderer went free. And when Jesus walked to his humiliating public death, he walked to his death where he would be executed with human spit on his face. They crucified him in the middle of what was essentially a garbage dump as he hung between these two thieves. And there, the holy, infinite creator God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, born smelling manure, died smelling trash. At this time of the year, when when we remember that one event that set into motion God's plan from the beginning to glorify his name and rescue his people, It's only when we see and align our lives under God getting all of the glory for that. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we gather and celebrate like we do. When we align our lives under that, we receive the peace of God and peace with God. And peace, that's not the byproduct or overflow of our good behavior from religious activity. It's not a peace that we earn because, yeah, we finally did all the right things or we got it in the right order. It's peace from recognizing that God initiated something 2,000 years ago and sent into the world what we needed most, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and it's all about him. The message of Christmas, the reason why we celebrate this, is that God decided not to pay back the human race for what they had earned. Instead, he paid it on our behalf for his fame and his glory and for our greatest good. And when we embrace the truth that a Savior has come to take the penalty for our rebellion, and we no longer trust in us and in our ability and our performance, but in Him, the Scripture tells us that when we do that, we experience the peace of God. And even in moments of silence, in moments of wondering, in moments of wandering, we know we are loved, and we know that Emmanuel, God, is with us. So here's the invitation of the manger, and the guys are going to come back, and we're going to finish with some more singing. Here's the invitation of the manger, that lowly, meager, humble feeding trough where the Son of God, Son of God was born that leads to the cross and that eventually leads to the empty tomb. The invitation, the invitation that we receive at Christmas time, we're reminded of at Christmas time is that God is inviting us to transfer our hope 
to transfer everything we place our confidence in from all the failing and flawed and decaying things of this world, all the things in your life, all the false things that, that have failed you time and time again, the things that have continually let you down, that you still continually go to. God's inviting you. Say, transfer your hope, transfer your confidence from those things and transfer that hope to the unfailing love of God demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ where your future and your identity were sealed forever in him. Let's pray about that. God, we love you. And God, we just thank you for um, a reminder of this gospel message tonight. And, and God, I, I pray that this, although a story we know well, God, would not be so familiar to us, God, that we um, do not once again move to rally our lives around this, God, that, that once again our hearts are not um, stirred up for you because of what you have done. So God, we confess um, our wandering. God, we confess um, so how often we go to different places to find that peace and that satisfaction. And God, we know outside of you, um, we will never attain that. We'll never find that. So God, um, tonight and in particular this season, God, would we be reminded once again of this incredible news, God, that broke forth into human history, God, and that made a way where apart from you there, there is no way. And God, as we sing these songs, God, would we sing them in celebration and remembrance of who you are and thanksgiving for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you.